Welcome, everybody, to the Yankee Chronicles podcast. I'm Bobby. I'm being joined by Evan, Donald, and Rob. So before we get started, we just want to give you a heads up. If you can, just like, share, subscribe, comment on this video down below. Also in the description down below, there'll be a link to some friends of ours. Um, click on the link at statementgames.com, where you can find a unique experience for all your fantasy sports gaming. Also, visit docadamsbaseball.org and learn about the founder of baseball. So, before we get started, uh, to get started, there was a list that came out yesterday with the, the Shredder's top 10 uh, players in the catching position. Now, we've said it uh, ourselves, the catching position is a very weak position, and it's hard to gauge who the top players are. Because there's, for me, there's so many different things that go into being a contributing catcher on a roster. You have offense, defense, and even on the defense, there's so many different variables that go into it. It's hard to, to truly rate, you know, who's at the top of their game and who is a solid catcher and not just a superstar. Um, the first one on the list was JT Realmuto. And he's not even signed yet, which I think is interesting. You know, I don't know when he's even going to land on a team that's going to be able to showcase with the talents that he does have. Because I think that of all the catches that are on this list, and we're going to go through them, he's the one that you, you expect to see on the list. You know, he, he's the most, he's the better all around catcher with offense and defense. Evan, what do you think on him? Yeah, I think he's definitely the number one catcher. Uh, Gary fell off last year, but I don't think he fell off the top 10. I think if you look at the, you know, length of his career and compare it to the length of everyone else's career and what they've done, he's significantly higher, especially on home runs. I mean, he, he hit a ton of home runs in his first three seasons um, and then dropped off. Um, if, if you even look at the top 10 list, look at the top three on that list, there's a pretty big separation between what those three guys do and what the rest of the top 10 does. So like you said, it's, it's not really a top 10 list. It's a top solid list because they're good players, but none of those guys would even make the top 100 best MLB player list. They're not even close. Yeah, it's almost like it's a list of the, the, the top favorite catchers, mm -hmm. you know. Because um, the first, the top three were Riamuto, number two was Yasmani Grandal, and number three was Will Smith. Um, Will Smith is too high. Yeah, I, I would you know number four is Contreras. I would even put Contreras ahead of Will Smith. You know, so is this a popularity contest or is this? A completely analytically uh, made list. You know, I think these lists get too out of you know people get too locked into the, how the list is numbered. So, Rob, do you think that with these lists, they'll purposely exclude a player because he's not a, a popular player? Uh, maybe, but. You know, the catcher position is not very stacked right now. I mean, I'm looking at the list and just 
none of these guys really scream popularity to me anyway. And Real Muto is the most recognizable name. You no, know, Grandel is a good player. There's a lot of good players on here, but you know, McCann being number ten, and he was talked about as signing as you know a potential backup for some teams and for us. So I don't know. It's it's a very interesting list when it comes to. I don't think popularity has anything really to do with it because it's hard to see a catcher and be like oh this is one of the best players in baseball it doesn't really happen I mean th- that was really when when Buster Posey was kind of running that position years ago but that's I'm really just confused looking at the list right now that's really it yeah, yeah. The, the one pl- the one player that I thought deserved to be on the list that was really far down on the list um, was Travis Darno. Uh, you know, he did put a solid year together. He hasn't had the best career, but he did have a solid year. Beyond, Is you know, he even a catcher anymore, though? He plays first in DH so much. He's like, I don't consider him a catcher anymore. Sorry. Well, that's one of the things I was you know, going to lead into that. You know, like, is Kyle Schwarber yeah. still a catcher? Yeah, that's a good point, too. You know, just because they came up as a catcher doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to stay at that position. We see, you know, a lot of catchers move to fresh base or become, you know, full-time DHs. You know, these lists just need to go away and stop – getting everybody all riled up. And if the offseason was moving at a steady pace, I don't think we would see these lists at all until spring training. Donald, what do you think about this? It's always subjective because uh, we don't know how they're basing it on. Real Muto is the only undisputed, indisputed number one. Um, the rest, you could all kind of just Mix and matches to personal preferences to who you like, listen to I like the best. Um, I mean, where Sanchez would be theoretically on the list again is subjective. I mean, if you if you want to base it on offense, then he probably should be uh, on that top ten list. If you place it on defense, then he should be more near the list. You know, so it's purely subjective, and I just think that that these lists are always a Kind of a popularity contest, anyway. Kind of, yeah. Uh, who they kind of prefer, uh, who's hot on the market. So, yeah, I, I don't take it seriously. Um, Sanchez's big task is to use that possibly as a motivator um, and, and work hard on, on his deficiencies um, to, to get himself back to to where he should have been because he should be in that top 10 list um, theoretically, but his, uh, his performances have, have kind of made it almost impossible for him to be um, considered right now. Uh, I, I mean, if, if he was in that top 10 list, I think a lot of people would be like, what the hell is he in that list? He wasn't even the starting catcher in the playoffs. You know what I mean? So we can't really, we can't really bring that up. So, um, he needs to work hard on his deficiencies, and I think eventually he'll get back to, to being uh, among those names, kind of towards the bottom of that top ten list. 
Now, Rob, do you think that this this list, with Sanchez, if Sanchez sees this, is this going to would this be a motivator for him to to kind of regain his, his status? I think it adds on to a lot of the things he wants to motivate him because, you know, everyone knocks him for the bad year last year, but I'm sure nobody feels worse than he does. You know, yeah. he was the starting catcher. He was the future of the franchise at the position, and he was benching the playoffs for a perennial backup. And I'm sure that's got to stick him right, you know, where it needs to hit him and just get him moving for the next season and get him back to maybe not even that 2017 status. It's going to be tough for anyone to repeat what he did that year. He was fantastic. But even if he goes back to what he was doing in 2019, which wasn't that long ago, he had a good year. He had a really bad month in July that year. And that really hurt his numbers, but he was an all-star in 2019. And people forget that he was playing very well until July hit. And if he can get back to that first half of 2019 status, then we're talking about a top three catcher in the league. Yeah. Uh, he has all the attributes to be actually the number one catcher in the league. You know, that's... I think the problem is he lacks motivation and confidence, yeah. which, you know, when you have that deadly combination right there of lacking those two things and they remove you in the playoffs for, like Rob said, a backup, um, I think it really hurt him. I think that he's, his feelings were also hurt at the fact that all the fans and everyone else is questioning whether uh, he still deserves to be there. Um, when he signed here at 16, and he was pretty sure that he was going to be, you know, the franchise catcher. So I, th- I think that something needs to click, and I think that he just doesn't understand what's going on. I mean, he even said he doesn't understand why he got benched. That's a pretty big separation and red flag for me. If you don't understand after having one of the worst seasons we've ever seen, you got to figure it out. They need to find someone that can coach him into figuring it out because he really, you know, uh, Joe Girardi tried his best with him and then they tried the opposite approach, bringing in Boone and neither one of them works. So find a balance. You know, I had I had turned on him after being a supporter and saying, you know, it's time for him to move on and look for a, a, a different market to play in that might not have too much of a spotlight for him to kind of regain his regain himself as a player. But now that we know that he's, you know, he's here for, you know, he's here for the beginning of the season at least. He's going to be the catcher. You know, I'm kind of getting back behind him to kind of rally you know rally him along i just really i the confidence thing they they got to communicate with him more i think in that interview he gave with molly rivera you know the communication broke down between the yankees and sanchez and that's only his side of the story so it's hard you know they're not going to say yeah no we, we forgot to tell him you know the same thing with all the confusion with game two you know in that postseason you know, they need to, to really build it. You know, like I said, they got to build them back up because we, you know, we need him to produce because he can carry a team. Why would they have to tell him that he's not playing well? He's a professional athlete. Like that's, that's my issue right there is that he doesn't understand that he wasn't playing well. I don't get that. I don't well, understand. You don't understand. 
No, but that doesn't it help every once in a while? Let's look, you know, if the, uh, a hitting coach or a defensive coach says, yes. and they've been, they've been look, we're gonna, you know, you're not going to be playing these next couple of games, but while you're not playing, this is what I want you to focus on. You know, sometimes I, I agree with that, but the the issue is that this is not something that came out of blue air. This is something that was percolating for three or four years because he constantly does this and has issues behind the plate. They change his position behind the plate, his stance. He doesn't like it. He's not comfortable with it, and they're still making him do it. It's the same thing with Sonny Gray trying to throw that slider. Like, stop pushing him to do things that he's not comfortable with and find something that he excels at and, and build around it. I mean, there's a reason why he has had a roller coaster of a career, and they keep switching the coaches that work with him. That's not healthy either. No, but that's what I'm saying. The Yankees need to do better with working with him and giving him every tool that they can to get him back to where he was in 2017 or, like Rob said, in 2019. He can't become yeah. that again. As I mentioned – But if they're not going to give him the tools or the coaching to – to elevate those skills, that's all yeah. the Yankees. As I mentioned last week, I thought uh, Pena did a much better job with uh, um, working with um, with Sanchez than than Gary. Uh, is this Gary Swanson, the new guy? I don't like the new stance that they. I just don't think the the, the one me up kind of thing works because I don't think you're able to get down to, to some balls. I think you, it restricts your mobility. I know, obviously. Um, when you know when you watch the Yankee games, A. Rod was really loud about it, and some other commentators were right about how they don't like Sanchez's stance because it makes him quite restricted and unable uh, with the ability to 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 get down there to to low pitches and stuff. Yeah, I mean having his you know having one knee on the ground already, that even further limited his mobility. If yeah. the ball's you know way out of the zone. That's why balls were flying past him last year. Balls yeah, flying past him. Um, what what was the name of the catcher? I think he played for the Braves, and he used to have these pads behind his knees. Do you remember that? Javi Lopez. Javi uh, Lopez was a Javi Lopez. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. So he had these pads behind his knee, which basically not only gave him the support but made it more comfortable. I think they might have to go with that approach for Gary Sanchez because he's there's something. Maybe that would help him. I don't know. But his, the new stance, he seems so uncomfortable. And he's a slow, bulky catcher anyway. So you're giving him a weird stance that makes him have to put more effort into yeah. pitch. It doesn't work. No, that was the idea. most interesting thing that Sanchez said in that, in that statement that he, he, he actually talked about that stance. He didn't actually go outwardly and say that he doesn't like it. But he did say he was uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And I think the Yankees shouldn't be doing things that they're not comfortable with, as, as Evan says. Yeah, it's like they're afraid to give constructive criticism. Like, if I can get that at my job and I'm making a fraction of what he makes, it, it's, uh, it's mind-boggling that they can't just tell the guy, hey, you're struggling with this, let's work on it. I just, the communication thing still bugs me if there's no communication between the coaches, the, the uh, organization, and the players. It's not yeah, just that's just organization. It's an entire it's an entire team. There's no no communication. They don't know what a player's injury is. We've seen it the last few years. Oh, he's fine. He's gonna be back in the next couple of days. And he's out for three months. You know, in terms of judge, same thing's happened with Stanton, it's happened with Sanchez before. Every time a player gets hurt, you think it's a minor thing. That's what Boone says. And then 
it comes back and he's out for three, four, two months, whatever it may be. It's just no communication. And it's just that it's become a joke. And then, you know, our, our, our weekly game two reference, um, that was the, that was, that was criminal. The that was the definition. Because yeah. Hop wasn't comfortable with it. Neither was, was Davey. None of them, none of them were comfortable with it. Right. You know? Garcia think- wasn't outspoken about it though. He, he, yeah. Didn't like it. You can tell if he doesn't read his body language. But yeah, he was, he was very loud about it. He was not, yeah. What do starters talk about all the time? They talk about being comfortable getting ready for a game. So when you have that warm up period taken away from you because you're now technically a reliever, I think that really threw half off. He's not a reliever. He's used to you know starting the game and having that whole routine. And you not only did that to Hap, but you kind of did that to. Um, as well. Garcia as well. Yeah, Pitchers are you know, creatures of habit. Pitchers are creatures of habit. Well, Garcia is somebody I think really was able, you know, he had his frustration moment, you know, you saw in his body language. You know, Rob and I were, you know, we had that interview with, with Robert Pimsner um, a while back after that game. And, you know, he was very clear that, you know, being a, a minor league writer with, with the Yankee organization, he knew Garcia fairly well. And Garcia is one of those, he's just there to work. It won't, you know, it won't affect his mentality long-term, you know? So Garcia, I think was, is pretty much past it at this point. I, I would like, I would like to believe that that's true. So Garcia. I'm not, I'm not worried about him going in the next year. Gone. I'm not worried about him going in the next year. Yeah. I'm not worried about his attitude going in the next year. He's uh, he's got that um, real poise on the mound, so I'm not concerned about that. I'm just talking about how uh, the Yankees move forward after that because we would have had a better idea as to um, where we could place Davy in the rotation if we gave him a chance, you know? Because uh, postseason, that's where you make your money as a Yankee, you know. And we took that away from them, and we were not, um, we didn't help ourselves there. Well, right. I think short term, mentally, it doesn't affect him very much. But if this is something that they continue to try or they continue to, you know, not trust him after a while, it will mentally affect him. You know, you, as a as a pitcher, you need to know that your coach trusts you out there, especially if you're, you know, in line to be that number two starter in the next year or two. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't want Garcia turning into the next generation of Jabba. You know, where they really mess with his routine and how he throws and when he throws. You're a starter. You're a spot starter. You're a reliever. You're a closer. You're, a, you know, right. And- Pitchers can't do that. Destroyed his arm. It destroyed his arm, but he also he became so unpleasant to be in that Yankee locker room. Remember, Mariano Rivera was doing his last spring training interview or something, and Jabba was on the bench laughing like an idiot. And Mo, during the interview, said, "Uh, "Can you go away? I'm trying to do an interview." And Jabba got all pissed off and acted like a spoiled little brat and had stuff to say about it. And the next year, he was gone. So it's like, you know, I hate I hate to say that it's all on the player because we did this to Greg Bird too, and I brought it up many times. They had him do surgery in the middle of the season, then rushed him back before the trade deadline. He failed, and they traded for his replacement who outshined him, and he had no choice. I don't want them to do that to our new pitchers. 
Yeah, it, Greg Bird was a, a, an interesting topic, you know, a, an interesting talking point for a while with the way they handled all of that. You know, you almost wonder if they did the same, you know, if they almost did the same thing with Gary with the, with the injuries and rushing him back, you know, or did they learn from, you know, or did they learn from that? And if the players hurt, just leave them out. Don't rush they them. They haven't learned their lesson at all. They rush everybody back. They rush you know, Judge back. They rush you know, Stanford I was just going to say Judge. Glaber. Glaber was rushed back when he was hurt yeah. before. Everyone, every time a player gets hurt, they rush them back, and they just don't learn their lesson. And in terms of uh, – especially with pitchers, you have to be patient. If they want to continue to push these young guys in our system as future arms in this rotation, not just the bullpen, the rotation, you have to be patient. You can't put Garcia out there and be like, okay, you're an ace now, go show it. And if they stick with Medina and these other guys in the system, if they come up and struggle out of the gate, you can't give up on them immediately. If you're not going to trade them and you're going to use them as your future, you have to be patient. So if they have a, like a hiccup, you can't be like, okay, you're getting demoted. you got to let them work through it. And if they're hurt, do not rush them back because we've seen it happen far too often with the major league roster. Yeah, and – a lot of that pressure comes even comes as far down the pike as, as it falls on to us. Because we're the ones that want to see these players play. And then when we do see them play and they don't, you know, if, if you know, Michael King comes in to, into a game or Abreu gets called up and doesn't pitch a no-hitter, is a bust. You know, we put too much, you know, we put too much pressure and – uh, ex- the expectations are too high. Where if they have those those first game jitters, then they can't. You know, we automatically say, "Oh, they were terrible." Yeah, but at the same time, you can't like if he has a really good game, you can't be like, "Oh, there's your future." Because remember yeah. Chase Wright a few years ago, he had an amazing first game. Yeah, I don't know how many. Years also, ago why I hate comparisons. I hate the fact that they talk about how Garcia and Pedro Martinez are like close or something, and he's going to be the next Pedro. Why? Because he works with Pedro? Like, are you kidding me? It's the stupidest comparison. Let the kid pick <coughs> what he is. Yeah, it's. I, I, yeah, exactly. You know, it'll help him, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the next, you know, Pedro. Right, and then it puts these stupid expectations in the casual fans who are now disappointed if he doesn't become Pedro. Yeah. Oh, he was supposed to be so much better. Well, he, he's still winning the games. You right. know, like with Herman, he was still racking up Ws. He was going deep into games, but that was because of his run support. You know, right. Herman would have that one bad inning, but then would snap right back out of it and – refocus. That's one of the reasons why I give Herman a little the personal issues I can't tolerate. You know, it's unacceptable. Absolutely. He, but as a professional ball player, he has a lot to contribute to a ball club. I think that's that's gonna keep his career going. And hopefully in the Bronx, because we do need that rotation spot. Yeah, yeah I, I, ideally, he's a three. He's a three yeah. or he's a middle to the back end of the rotation pitcher, and that's fine. If we had a legit number two, we, yeah. 
But right now he'd be going by statistics alone because Severino's hurt. He's our second best pitcher, and that's an issue. Yeah, yeah it's scary, really. Yeah, it's really scary. Terrifying. I mean, I I hate bringing up ERA because it's a dumb stat to rely on, but having a four ERA and winning 18-plus games is not something to be proud of. No. No, I'm not saying it's something to be proud of, but I think it shows a little bit of grit, you know, that he's able to grind out through these games. I mean, I remember watching a game where the dude gave up like seven runs but won 9-7 or some shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch that from my starting pitcher. It doesn't make you a good pitcher. And then everyone goes, oh, he got the win. That's awesome. Yeah. No, not necessarily. He nine win runs. Jacob DeGrom would kill for that kind of run support. Yeah, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's why he would be incredible on the Yankees, and he's over there wasting half his career on the Mets. So they better, you know, be good this year with that Lindor trade. Because if they don't make it to the playoffs and go deep, I'm going to mock the fucking shit out of the Mets. Because I'm so sick of hearing how they win every offseason, and they're going to win the World Series and this and that, and all they did was look better on paper. Lindor better go 350. He better hit 45 home runs, get a gold glove. I want 150 RBIs. He better steal 40 bases, too. Okay? <coughs> Because the Mets are the greatest. Well, so, and they killed it. Don't forget, the pitching staff's going to be so much better because they have James McCann. He is a top-ten catcher. Well, we, we were all talking about we wanted McCann at the start of the uh, offseason. We were talking the about The funny thing is – And I think it's a good deal. I don't have a problem with it. But bring it back to the Yankees. Donald, would you agree that their best deal, though, is Carrasco? Absolutely. Instead of a doubt. Carrasco was the only guy that I wanted as a priority. I can live with uh, Sanchez and a backup catcher. If he's uh, healthy, that is a fantastic number two for the Mets. I wasn't looking for, for Lindor shortstop. Uh, I wasn't willing to pay him that kind of money next year. Um, uh, but Carrasco was the one I wanted. He was the kind of pitcher that we were looking for. It was perfectly reasonable amount of money that we could absorb. And he could easily um, – eat some innings because what I was going to mention is I'm a little concerned because, um, okay, say we, we bring in a very cheap option uh, to sign um, in the back end of the rotation. We're going to be relying on a lot of young arms, okay? But they're only they're going to have innings limits. Just like uh, Schmidt will have an innings limit. Garcia will have an innings limit. Um, Gill will have an innings limit. So at the most, they'll be asked to pitch five innings, right? And then we're going to be asking a lot from our bullpen. And um, we haven't strengthened our bullpen at all. Um, and we're going to be asking a lot of arms in the bullpen to absorb a lot of innings. And that's one of the concerns. So if, if, you, if we need to get a starting pitcher that is equally as durable as Cole in terms of eating innings, you know what I mean? Tanaka can do that, but we, we've not really expressed much interest in bringing him back. So there are a lot of worries here in terms of how we're going to be negotiating the pitching. Uh, we can live with Herman and, and Schmidt and all that stuff. But then, if that is the case, then we need to have one hell of a bullpen. And uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that, 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 we've, uh, that we can eat those kind of innings at the moment. What do you guys right. think? You know, a lot of people thought that the Yankee fans were jealous of the Mets deal. And I don't think that's the case. I think what it was... It was like we said, 
it wasn't that they got Lindor. It was it was the, it was Carrasco going as well, because that was an option for the Yankees to fill a rotation spot. So the Carrasco being in that trade is what turned a lot of heads and, and had people, yeah. you know, frustrated. It's like how yeah. do you get two players like that for pro, you know, for prospects? I think it's There's that. About the, the arms deal and the innings limits. Go ahead, Donald. Sorry. What do you guys think about the innings limits that I mentioned? I mean, that's that's quite a concern. For who? Everybody. <laughs> oh, oh, for, oh, I see what you say. Everyone's on an innings limit. Yeah, no, it's it's frustrating. I don't I don't yeah. like it. I think that you got to get to the point where you just trust the player to go out there and, and pitch how he pitches. I hate having this in your head that oh, as soon as he gets to ninety pitches, a hundred pitches, no matter how well he's pitching, we're going to take him out because some times you know the pitcher can really can really push if, if Cole can do it I don't understand why you can't trust these other people yeah. to try yeah and the way I see it like that's why I really want I the thing about the Mets trade that aside from them getting Carrasco is that their organization was willing to part with prospects to get a player players that are going to help them win now and that's what I want the Yankees to do and maybe they get a guy like Castillo. But in terms of the rotation, the way I see it, your top two guys, those are the ones that are going to give you seven or more consistently. Your number three guy can give you six to seven, maybe more. And if the last two guys, if it's like, let's say it's um, Garcia and even Clark Schmidt, if you have to keep the last two on the in the rotation on kind of an innings limit, that's fine. Because we can't forget Severino's going to come back and he's going to be limited. They're not going to rush him back and say, go out and throw seven each night. It's not going to happen coming back from Tommy John. That's They really need a number two. They can't bring in Corey Kluber and say, be healthy and be the guy you once were. They absolutely need to get a number two, and they just have not shown any willingness to do it. That's what really is bothering me. I think it's going to be interesting to see if this uh, free agent market picks up because I think a lot of players are going to start getting to the point where this offseason is a wash with COVID the owners don't want to spend money, especially thinking that next year might be exactly the same. If they lose the same amount of money next year, it really changes the impact of them wanting to spend. So maybe these players like a Bauer has to take a one year, $15 million deal. If that's the case, Yankees should just blow it up and start picking up as many one-year deals with players like Bauer or Tanaka or whatever, as they can build that rotation to see what we can do this year. Um, because if we win it this year, maybe um, you make that move next year. Maybe you don't. But at least it shows us that we – shows us the fans that we went out there and tried to fill some of those gaps because it's really frustrating watching the Mets make a move when we've sat here and haven't even made the number one move that we had to make. I think that's the reason the Yankees fans are angry, not because they got Lindor, but because, one, they got a pitcher we needed and we haven't done anything. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's almost it's almost becoming tiring to repeat. You know, Lemayhu wanted to, you know he wants to be on the Yankees. The Yankees want Lemayhu, but they just can't get their act together and figure something out. You know, who's stonewalling at this point? Who knows? We're not behind. We're not in the meetings with these people. You know, we can only speculate and feed into the rumors that you see on on social media. You know. We mentioned yesterday, Evan, how, you know, 
we've run out of, you know, people are writing, writers are running out of things to write about. You know, we're trying to do our best to make sure that for our audience, we have, you know, we bring a, a, a viable topic every time that we talk. So we, we start exaggerating or speculating, you know, talking about the rumor mill rather than solid baseball news. That's a big problem. Yeah, and if it comes like what it was with Cole last year, he was the one guy they wanted and it held up anything else. They didn't do anything after getting Cole. And to be fair, Cole was that guy that they felt like they needed. But if DJ holds us up from getting a legitimate good number two pitcher, then as much as I love DJ, I'd let him go. If the backup is to get Simmons and move Torres back to second, if you can get some good pitching and have to let LeMahieu walk, you might have to do it because you can, you can replace his bat. It's, it's going to be difficult, but you can find a way to replace his bat, whether it's getting a couple of guys or not. You need pitching. And I think the Yankees will score runs. They'll be fine offensively. They need pitching. Yeah, and you can definitely fill that hole on defense with Simmons. So if you got Simmons and then somehow managed to get, say, Kluber and Bauer because the market's so bad, I think that might be a better – you know, plan for us getting those three players than just DJ. Because after DJ, we're going to have, what, $8 million left? That doesn't get you much. No, and that, that's that's what's really pissing us, uh, you know, us off is LeMahieu, the, whatever happens with LeMahieu will affect the rest of the Yankees' offseason moves. So they're really the longer it keeps going, the more they're putting them their backs against the corner, because the backs against the wall. Because now you got to figure out on the fly, really quick. All right, now what do I do to fill these gaps? And they're not filling any gaps right now. You know, a couple mm-hmm. of minor league deals. You know, no disrespect to Chasin or, or or Allen. You know, but you're not superstar. You know, you're not. You weren't signed to make an impact. You were signed to, you know, right. as an insurance policy. And yeah, the one you thing. You really need to figure out what they're doing. Right. The one thing that I, I think is a good thing right now, it's kind of in the Yankees' favor, is nobody's really signing anybody. Yeah. So there's still an incredible crop of free agents out there, aside from DJ LeMahieu, that you can bring in and make this team better. So, like, if that is an, uh, an Andrelton Simmons, if they can get Kluber and maybe make a trade for another pitcher or sign a couple of these cheap starting pitchers and get a bullpen arm or two. You know, Hendricks would have been nice, but they weren't going to pay him that money. Maybe you can get Trevor Rosenthal. There are some good arms out there that can be had. Brad Hand's another guy that could, you know, if he wants two years, maybe $8 million a year, that's a pretty reasonable deal, something like that. You can make this team better, and DJ, as much as we would hate to see him go, if if that's the – the trade-off, if you add, you know, three, four players that are going to make this team better and DJ has to walk, that might have to be the way you go. You know, well, here's what you do. You know, you have – I would grab Brad Hand. I really would. I, I think he would really do well in the Bronx. Um, and he would – I think he would really fit in well with the guys um, and contribute right away. If the – if they miss out on signing LeMahieu. 
the easiest, the, the, the best route to go is you leave Torres at short and you make a move for Whit Merrifield. That's how you, you know, that's how you satisfy the fans. You bring in Whit Merrifield. Satisfy that fan right there. That would be a great move. It really would, though. It really would be a great move. He can play anywhere. He can hit. That's how you yeah. replace DJ. No, that'd be a great replacement for DJ. Honestly, I think he's the best replacement for DJ if you can do it. I just don't know how much it would cost. He's a little older, so maybe uh, the price goes down, um, and maybe you take a a player like Duffy who sucks and has a big contract, uh, so that they're willing to do that. You know, throw in a prospect. Um, Um, I think we, we, you know, Merrifield's real value is is with the defense. You know, that's what's going to really keep him going. You know, and give him the value. So, um, do you really? You know, I know we we always say it to joke around with Evan a little bit, um, but I think we need to. Figure out. You're back. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my laptop shut out. Ah, well, you, yeah, we lost Donald too. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> 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 uh, you were like frozen. It's <laughs> yeah, my my power shut off. So I, I went and got my cell phone. Yeah. I think what Donald does for a living, he's one of those silver statues you see in a park. <laughs> yeah, he literally was not moving for a good 30 seconds. And I thought he <laughs> That's, That's it. We don't, we don't only give you baseball talk, we give you, you know, entertainment. So, no, I, I don't know if you heard, Evan. I was kind of seconding your, your comments on, on Merrifield saying that his – his value with the Yankees is more defense. You know, we know it's more def- defensive than offensive. You know, yeah, that's would correct. Still be, contact hitter, but yeah, would still be a valuable piece in that in that infield because he's he's versatile. He can you can you can move around to give other players days off. You know, he's seasoned. He understands. You know, he's not going to have his feelings hurt because. You know, he's not playing his primary position for, for a, you know. He, he's also a great, great option for center field if Hicks gets injured for a substantial period of time. You know, you can really shift him out there uh, and then bring Estrada up if you want. Yeah, that's true, too. You know, I think well, that goes, you know, like we, you know with the prospects and, and these guys that are going to be coming up. You know, we don't know what we have because – I don't think that the organization really gives us a fair chance to evaluate from a fan point of view of what these, these younger players are giving us. If they bring them up and then they send them right back down, which is why baseball needs to start putting, you know, televising some of these minor league games, you know, and really helping the fans understand where they, where they, the minor league prospects are development-wise. You know, not everybody, you know, can just go to, you know, to go to a minor league game because 
if it's not like they all play in the same area. So, you know, you had the Mets for a while. Their minor leagues were all in Vegas. You know, so that doesn't help them at all. So, like, televising these minor league games is really will, – will help. You know, the fans understand what they – what their team is looking for in the future. You know, they're going to mention that <clears throat> in, what was it, six years, the Orioles are going to be in the World Series – that that's comical, you know. But we don't know what they have because we don't see what their what their minor league system looks like. Maybe they are that good. We won't know. Not likely that they can come up that quick. But strange things happen, and it is baseball, and you can't predict it. That's the problem. You can't put, like John says all the time, you can't predict baseball. Um, yeah, but you have, it looks like you have a lot to say. I'm just, no, I'm just listening. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I, th- I think it's important. I think the, the minor league system, in, you know, when, when you're a child <laughs> and you don't have the, access to the Yankees all the time going to a minor league game for really cheap is just a fun way you know to get introduced to the game and it's also you're going to have more uh interactions with the players there's more fan related activities so it's like that's when you get the interest of a child and then you hope because they love the sport of baseball so much they continue to follow major league baseball yeah Uh, definitely yeah that's, I think it would help pretty much baseball. been. It would help baseball's ratings, though, um, more yeah. importantly, because um, when you think about other sports like um, the NFL and the NBA, uh, fans are really committed to the college system. So yeah. you know exactly what players are coming through, and they get excited about it. They get excited about the draft, these kind of things, you know. And so maybe to your to your point, you did televise minor league baseball, AAA, and. You know, fans could maybe get excited about some some young players coming through, and it will maybe raise the uh, raise the interest level. Because at the moment, baseball is really struggling to connect to to um, to, to, to younger fan bases. You know, this is the baseball is more for older guys like me and you have been through the '90s and the, the thousands. You know, and uh, the younger generation is more tuned to kind of different sports that are a little bit faster paced and whatever and also they're more connected to the, the college system. We don't really have one because uh, the draft isn't really a big deal in baseball. You know, it takes years and years and years and years until you even see the prospect. In many cases maybe you don't even see them at all. So um, I think your idea um, holds water because uh, maybe if you could televise certain AAA games you would see um, what time was coming through for us to get excited about. Yeah. You know, it's not like saying, you know, that's why I think that they need to, ex- like, you know, other sports have a, a secondary network. You know, I think that MLB is, is reached that point where they almost have to create that second network for minor league athletes. You know, 
feature, you know, one game a night, you know, you or have, you know, you know, different kind of shows for, you know, West Coast, Central, or East Coast teams, you know, and, and start showcasing some of these, um, some of these talents that are coming up. Because yeah, I also think. Sorry to cut you off. I just want to put in there that I think college baseball is pretty important too. And other than the college world series, you don't really see national broadcast on that. So it makes the draft very difficult because you're watching this draft and you're like, I don't know who any of these guys are anyway, because you haven't watched the college sport like you do, you know, March madness and and with football. Yeah. That's a great point. That's why, you know, baseball is, is hit a marketing crisis, you know, and they, re- you know, like particularly, I forget which episode it was. We had made the statement if they would have, if they would have marketed Mike, Mike Trout, the way they did back in the day with with Griffey Jr. You know, he was in commercials, he was in movies, you know, and if they would have done that with Mike Trout or some of these other superstar players, baseball would be doing a lot better. Yeah. Griffey was in everything. Now all you see is these athletes and stupid Subway commercials. Yeah. Like that's all they can book is Subway and maybe Blimpy. Yeah. And a lot of it is the athletes don't want to be bothered. You know, they're making so much money now, they don't need the extra income. Put the game on Nickelodeon like the NFL just did. Put a Padres Braves game on Nickelodeon. You know how much fun that would be seeing Tatis hit a bomb and it's all slime everywhere? That's how you get a younger audience. Like, Tatis and Acuna are, like, two of the most fun players in the league right now. If you see them going head-to-head, like, who's going to hit the – even if it's something as simple as, like, uh, even a home run derby, put that on Nickelodeon, you know, when you have yeah. the home run derby. That's the way that you can get people yeah, interested that, in the game. Rob, that I would think be that fun. is an excellent idea. Yeah. How much of the NFL broadcast in Nickelodeon did you guys watch? Just curious. I, I don't watch football. I was working, but I caught a lot of it when I got back, like uh, a lot of highlights and stuff. It yeah, looked yeah, awesome. I, I watched a good portion, but I thought it was hilarious where when they were kicking field goals, it was SpongeBob's face. <laughs> it was of, fun. And it wasn't yeah, meant for like, you know, it, might, it wasn't meant for adults to watch. I saw a lot of people complaining on Twitter about it, but. It's meant for the kids to have a little fun while watching something that they may not know about. So if, if the MLB can do something similar to get a new generation interested in a sport that slowly kind of – it's definitely losing popularity. I don't want to say dying off, right. but and, it's definitely not the top sport and one of the major ones in the country. I also think sports is, is not only important for children, that's obvious, but it's important on Nick because if you remember – uh, when we were growing up, they had something um, – I forget the name of the show, but it was it was all those, like, uh, competition games where they had all these, like, people in different colors and they were kids and it was, like, get outside and, and go play and stuff. Yeah. And they had that whole thing. So, you know, having this and getting them interested in a sport when they're young is kind of a big deal. And it's going to make football more popular because they're going to say, oh, look at this cool sport that I saw on Nickelodeon. I want to go go outside with my friends and play football now. You don't have that with baseball very often. No. Yeah. Even back in, yeah. I don't know if they still do. It's like in our. Was the um, the celebrity softball game? I think it was MTV had it, where it was like a mock, you know, like a mock softball game between that, you know, 
professional athletes and, and celebrity um, actors and actresses, you know, Right. That's you know maybe Remember, they you know, they gotta try doing that again. Remember laughing at, at uh, Jenny Finch pitching to all these superstars and they couldn't hit her uh, her pitches. You know, yeah. and it put Jenny that put Jenny Finch on the mat. You know, yeah. The the, the yeah. Yeah. I mean, her, her play on the field in a real game was something to watch. It was amazing watching her play. Yeah, she baseball was a lot more marketable back in the nineties. I mean, I thought for the longest time that Jenny Finch was going to be the one to cross over into the MLB. Yeah, yeah. So I was a big fan of hers back then. I liked her too, actually. Yeah. yeah baseball I, I, hope, I hope somewhere along the line she's still involved with the sport. But um, you know, they need to do something to market themselves because the marketing is terrible. It was much better in the 90s, you know, when you had big stars like Zeter and yeah. uh, McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds, and all these dudes. You know, you had Jeter and, yeah, you had Jeter and Steinbrenner doing credit card commercials, you know. You had, you know. And you had some of the greatest any teams baseball, of all time, like the 90, the 90s Yankees. The 90s any, any baseball movie that, was, that had to do with the kids, Griffey was in there somewhere. You know, or you had, you know, Randy Johnson as the fearful pitcher. You know, I forget which movie that was, which one that was. You know, and it was great because it's like, oh, I've seen him on the ball field, you know, and then you pay more attention. And also, baseball was more watchable back then because there wasn't this analytics era where, yeah, that's um, taken away every single aspect to to the game, you know, back in the nineties, um, and even up to fairly recently, there was still strategy involved and there was managers that had a personality that you, you know, and, um, and, and some of the greatest teams of all time. So like, for instance, the Yankees 98 team, you know, um, but now we're in this kind of analytics era where, you know, there's, there's no strategy involved whatsoever and there's no accountability and it's all just kind of, all comes from the front office and uh, even if you in terms of marketability even if you watch like the home run derby like it's all home run projection and and all this like all these stats and things like exit that velocity and all that nonsense yeah, exit velocity that's the one and then it's like, it's like that's the one time that's the... Out of the field. you don't need to go into all the maths and yeah. i think it takes it away and i i'm honestly i think it affects the younger generation because you know, there's there's nothing really to get behind other than to watch people just uh, walk or hit a home run or strike out, and that's all that really happens in the game now. You know. Yeah, yeah. We had said, you know, with uh, when we were on the the show with, when we had Markard from Staten Games. You know, the analytics is killing the game. What? Well, you know, and. Nobody's seeing it because kids don't want to sit there and figure out how they did all this math. You know, they, <laughs> right. they, they just got home from school. They don't want to do more homework. I already graduated from school. I, I don't want to do work anymore. You know, I, I'm done. You know, I, I, I graduated and I don't need to sit in math class just to figure out how to, how to enjoy a baseball game because then I'm not going to enjoy it and I'm going to lose interest. 
So they need to get back to just, you know, they want to let the kids play. And then, you know, Tatis hits a grand slam in a blowout game. And all of a sudden, now he's the bad guy because he was having a good time. No, stop. Knock it, knock yeah, it. I, I hated that. Yeah. And I don't care. I don't care if they ran that up 30 to 2. That game's not over. You keep scoring. And then, you know, all of these has brought in things like, you know, when I watch the Yankees now, I'm terrified that our starter is going to be taken out after three innings. Just to some sort of crazy stuff like the opener. I hate the opener. I've never liked it. Yeah. And, and just things like, uh, like I, I just don't trust that we, we give our pitchers any time to, to pitch six or seven innings. It's, they're always, after like three or four, as soon as they get a couple runners on, you're thinking, uh-oh, I'm wondering if I'm going to take them out. You know? Yep. Yeah, so, you got, you, you know, it's the fourth inning. You got two one in a one run game, and you got the pitcher looking over his shoulder into the bullpen. Yeah. You know? And that never happened back in the day. Back in the day, you'd rely on your guy to give you six, seven innings. No, yeah. and the opener only came into fruition with Tampa because they didn't want to pay starting pitching. They wanted to pay, you know, yeah. they'd rather pay for the bullpen salaries. You know, relief reliever salaries, not starting salaries. That's how the opener yeah, came yeah. Into, into play. But the game accomplished that week. You know, but Tampa is so overly analytical driven. It worked for them. You know, yeah, the, there are the situations where it works. I'm not discrediting analytics at, 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 in a whole. It just it doesn't fit for the game. And that's exactly. that's my point. The purpose of that movie or the book Moneyball was to help teams that had lower payroll. Uh, the analytics helped them address the massive disparity between them and the Yankees. You know what I mean? Uh, that's that's the, they helped um, level the playing field a little bit. That's what analytics is good for. Yeah, you know. But in the movie, the Yankees, they're talking about all the analytics and this and that, and you know. Um, and just really getting into it. I'm like, this is a horror movie. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that was my first. And then it was kind of like, you know, when they had the end credits and, you know, the A's still have not won anything. You know, and it's kind of like, ah, the bad guy got killed, you know. <laughs> That's the fakest movie ever. They changed so much around to make it look like the A's had no one on that team, okay? It's ridiculous. Yeah, they, had, they had, like, two Cy Young winners. They had the MVP and Rookie of the Year. They had a Gold Glove third baseman. They had uh, a great bullpen. And they won, what, 100 and something games that year? Like, come on. They're acting like Scott Hatterberg was the best player on that team. That's he was true. a <laughs> that they filled because they didn't have that much money. But it's like they didn't use him that much. He was good. He was solid. Yeah. They only had to replace like four players from a playoff team. And they were making it seem like it was like the worst team. Like last to first, it was yeah. They had Miguel Tejada. That was one of the most unbelievable oh, years we've seen out of a shortstop. So just stop. They had Eric Chavez. They had Mark Mulder. They had Tim Hudson. They had Barry Zito. I mean, yeah. <laughs> keep going on. They had a lot of really good players. I'm supposed to believe that because you lost Johnny Damon, you're gonna like you're gonna lose a hundred games the next year. Like, come on. 
Damon's the only great, player they, they lost was Giambi, as far as I'm concerned. Johnny Damon, come on, he sucks. Yeah, I like I like Damon as a Yankee. I, I didn't. He, he was horrible to his wife. I don't like to get personal, but he like cheated on his wife and then blamed her for it. Yeah, that's and that's then divorced her. He was just phenomenal in the in the 2009 season and, and playoffs. Incredible. He was very solid. Yes, but still, 2009, I give to Matsui. Everyone else can go fuck themselves. It was all Matsui. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap this up. Just remember, tune in for tomorrow's episode where we will be breaking down the MLB coming out and saying that we're going to have a 162-game season and everything is all sunshine and roses, ready to go with spring training, and um, you'll hear our opinions on that. So on behalf of everybody, YankeeChronicles.com, I hope everybody has a good day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.